Good morning again, uh, church. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We will be looking at verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. In chapter 3 of the gospel, according to uh, Matthew, uh, we saw the Lord God begin to unfold his uh, plan for Jesus to begin his earthly ministry. It's a, it's a plan of preparation, a plan to prepare the way for his son. We've talked about two parts of this plan already in previous sermons. We talked about John the Baptist and his prophetic ministry. We talked about Jesus' baptism and him being commissioned for the work that lies ahead. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about the third part of the plan. And it's the third part of the plan is the temptation of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 4. The temptations of Jesus is the final part of God's plan of preparation. So if you have your word, the word of God, if you have your Bible, here's God's word to his beloved people, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the highest, the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. This is God's word. Please pray with him for me. Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, we once again call upon you to move in this place. We call upon you to take the word that is preached and apply it to my heart and apply it to the hearts of every soul that is here today. I pray that each of us will receive from this sermon whatever we need that will help encourage us to go back out into the world and then fight one more week against the things that we're going to encounter this upcoming week. So, Lord, I pray this prayer for all of us, the adults, the kids, that you would minister to us, Spirit. Help us to see Jesus in a way that we've never seen him before. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife found a very good ant-killing recipe on Pinterest. Uh, it's a common recipe, I think. You know, the ingredients is one cup of warm water, one-third cup of sugar, one teaspoon of borax. And the ants loved it. They couldn't get enough of the sugar laced with a small amount of borax. And in fact, they were like locusts descending upon this little ball of sugar. And... They were going back and forth to the colony with pieces of it. 
It was a, I call it a deadly sugar retreat. And the ants didn't know it. And that is what temptation is like to us. It's a recipe of death. A deadly sugar retreat. Sugar laced with borax. And the question for us is, are we eating the treat? Are you thinking about eating the treat? And who is presenting you with the treat? Because sometimes temptation has a face. You see, temptation has one goal, one aim, one purpose. is to entice you to sin and rebel against God. To pull you away from trusting him. Temptation isn't your friend. It's not an ally. It lies to you. And this is what it tells you. God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. God can't be trusted. You must take matters into your own hands. God doesn't know what's best for your marriage, for your kids, for your career. You do. So take matters into your own hands. Don't be deceived by its sweet smell and good looks. It's a recipe of death. And it's not always easy to resist temptation, scent, and looks. We fall in, we fall, sometimes we give in sometimes. And some of you have this week. And are you still carrying that guilt? Or are you just hoping not to get caught? Or are you hiding? But none of us can hide from God. He sees all things. He knows all things. And that includes each of us. So he, he knows that his people, those of you who have faith in Jesus, he knows that at some point in your life, you're going to give in to temptation. At some point. And what do you do when you do give in? Repentance is available to you, to every believer. Just acknowledge it, confess it, and turn from it unto God. And if you're not a believer, then you can become a believer. And that's by confessing your sins to Jesus and receiving him as Lord and Savior. So please, don't turn away from Jesus if you're struggling. Take his hand. Take Come to him in faith. And if you're a believer, come back to him. Because he knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to be you. He identifies with you and he has solidarity with you in your battles with temptations, in your struggles with temptations. But do you believe it? Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Think about that. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. The message Bible says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weaknesses and testing, experienced it all, but the sin. Think about that. Is that a picture you have of Jesus when you're struggling, when you're down, a Savior who knows? what it's like, who knows what it's like to, to be you. Jesus understands the reality of temptation that we face day in and day out. He's not detached from it. He's not clueless. He's not some savior who, who lives on this high mountain and don't know what it's like. He knows from personal experience. He also knows what it's like to have a great spiritual experience and then to later on be tempted with something that undermines it. It's like going to the Christian camp Great week. And as soon as you get back, you have all these temptations. It's like become when you first become a believer. Then he's like, man, I'm, I'm great, I'm great. And then two weeks later, I don't know, Pastor. I don't take I don't take the prayer took. 
Because you're dealing with all these things coming before you. The temptations. And Jesus, the temptation that he faced, he faced after he was baptized by John the Baptist. After he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And after the Father affirmed him as his eternal son. And after he was commissioned. After all those things. After that great spiritual experience. That's when the temptations came. Matthew 3, 16 and 17 says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and, 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 and resting on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. A great spiritual experience. And after that, the temptations come. And remember what temptation is. It's a deadly sugar retreat that seeks to entice you to sin against God. And I know what you're asking yourself. If that's the case, then how can temptation be part of the plan here? How is Jesus being tempted be part of God's plan to prepare him for ministry? That's crazy. Those are good questions. God isn't the one that's going to do the tempting. He doesn't tempt anyone. He does use this experience to test Jesus. See, Jesus is intentionally led to face the one who continually tempts God's people and God's anointed. He's led by the very spirit. So sometimes when you ask the spirit to lead you, maybe you need to be careful about what you're praying. Look, verse four. Then afterwards, Jesus was led. Listen to these words. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You don't need to go to the Greek to understand what Matthew is talking about there. He is making it crystal clear that he, Jesus, was led by a particular person to a particular place for a particular purpose. That is to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Everything that's happening in these verses is part of the plan. Why? Why is that? Aren't you supposed to flee temptation? Definitely you don't want to be led into it by the Holy Spirit who's supposed to be on your side. So what's the deal? What's happening here? One theologian said, God and the devil employs the same means at the same time. What what, what does he mean by that? He means what God intends for your good, Satan at the same time intends for your evil. God tests our faith to strengthen it. The devil, God tests our faith to strengthen it. The devil tempts our faith to destroy it. So that means in every situation, in every circumstance, is both a test and a temptation at the same time. God and the devil use the same means. One uses it for our good, and the other one uses it for evil. This week, a pastor called me from on Monday from Birmingham. He wanted to know if I was available to meet with him on, on, on Thursday morning for coffee. And he was traveling to Huntsville to see his mom. I said, sure, man, we can get together. Uh, just let me know what time we'll meet. So we decided to meet at Panera Bread on Thursday at 930. Now, the conversation started with small talk, asking questions about getting to know you and where you're from, where you went to seminary. And then the, question, then the conversation transitioned to talks about racial reconciliation and diversity and social justice and the village church. Now, he wanted to learn from me. And, and that's when the meeting and the conversation turned into a test of temptation for me. Because my heart was faced with three questions at that moment. 
cannot share with him without trying to impress him? Can I talk with him without trying to present myself as more important than I really am? Can I love this brother without using his comments to boost boost my own ego? Let's just say I failed the test, okay? I gave in to the temptation. What was crazy about it, I didn't even know it until I was driving away from Panera and the Spirit convicted me. You just used that brother. You didn't love him. You used him to make yourself look good, to make yourself seem more important than you really are. I didn't even see it going through the conversation, but my heart was eating it up. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. He wants to know stuff from me. Maybe I am successful. Maybe I am doing a good job. This guy wants to know my opinion about stuff. And so if this is true for me and you, this is what's happening to Jesus in the wilderness. He's been tested by God, but he's also been tempted by the devil. And Jesus has to resist. He cannot give in. Because if he fails here, everything falls apart. Please know that. Everything falls apart if he gives in to the enemy's attacks upon him. The whole plan of redemption falls apart. Jesus has to be a sinless Savior. A sinless Savior. That's the only way it works. And if he falls, it's over. It's over. So this is a a very important part of his preparation. Can he withstand the attacks of the enemy? Can he? Jesus is tempted. How long is Jesus tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Forty days. Forty days. He just he doesn't come to him at the end of the forty days. He's a, he's attacking him throughout the forty days. Intense spiritual warfare. And the devil is on his back, pulling going all in, pulling out all the tricks, trying his best to entice Jesus to sin against his father. That's what he's doing. And what does Jesus do to help in his battle? He fasted and prayed during those 40 days. Some, so you can read this verse and think, did Jesus go into the wilderness to fast? No, he went to the wilderness to be tested. That's what Matthew said. The fasting and praying is how he's getting through it. That's how he's enduring it. He wasn't going on a spiritual retreat to find himself. He already knows who he is. He went there to engage the enemy. And the fasting and the prayer was how he dealt with it. Now, fast is, is you abstaining from food or drink for a season in order to focus your body, soul, and mind on the Father. And prayer is you coming before God in the, with a dependent spirit, crying out to him for help. And Jesus is doing just that. In the wilderness, he focused on God. In the wilderness, he's dependent upon the Father and the Spirit. In the wilderness, He's tr- he trusts God. And what about you? What are you doing to help you resist your temptations in the wilderness from the enemy or the temptations that come from your own sinful nature? If Jesus fasted and prayed, how much more should we? Because we ain't Jesus. If he needed to fast and pray to fight off temptation, how much more us? A lot more. So do we ever fast to help fight against temptation? Now, it doesn't have to fast for 40 days or even a full day. You can fast for one meal. And the purpose of the fast is to help you focus on the Lord. 
to show your dependency upon him, to show that he is truly the source of all your strength. That's what the purpose of it is. That's what prayer is for, too. Showing our dependency upon him, resting upon him. It's there for your benefit. Use it like Jesus uses it. For 40 days, he's experiencing temptations. For 40 days, he's resisting. For 40 days, he's praying. For 40 days, he's fasting. And it's a lot. And he is tired at the end of that. Tired and hungry. Jesus needs a snack. Look at verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that. According to research, a healthy person can live 40 to 45 days without food. Jesus is right on the line. He is really hungry, really tired, and really weak. And why is that important? It shows you his humanity. That's what it shows you. That's what it shows us, his humanity. This brother is tired. It shows you that Jesus is fully man and he's fully God, fully human and fully divine. Hebrews 2.17 says, Jesus had to be made like us in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So him being hungry is him identifying with you. It's him having solidarity with you. Him being tired is him saying, I know what it's like to be tired. Him being weak is him saying, I know what it's like to be weak. I know what it's like for the enemy to be on your back. You can never get a break. I know what it's like. He identifies with us in our battles against the enemy. He identifies with those who had to go long periods without food. Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to, he knows what it's like to lack a necessity of life from personal experience. He gets it. And Jesus is in real need in the wilderness. Cause we, again, we can read through the Bible and we can just gloss over this stuff. But this happened. He experienced this. Don't don't just read these stories as if they're as if they're just story. This is truth. This happened to Jesus. He did this. He went through this. This is history. It ain't just make believe. So the devil knows he's now weak, and now the devil comes back to him more directly now with three temptations. Three temptations that he whispers into Jesus' ear. And these three temptations are just a climax of, of the 40 days. The climax of him trying to get Jesus to sin. The climax of the enemy trying to undermine God's plan. First, he tempts Jesus to be independent of the Lord God. Tempts him to be independent of the Lord God. Be your own man, Jesus. Be your own person. Trust yourself. God does not know what's right for you. You know what's right for you. Jesus, you have an immediate need. A felt need. You're hungry. Your stomach has hunger pains. I can hear the growls from here. Meet your need yourself, Jesus. You have the resources. You have the ability. You have the gifts. You have the power. Aren't you the son of God? Look at verse 3. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
prove yourself to be the son of God by meeting your physical need, by using your divine power in a way that dishonors God. Use your divine power selfishly. Please know he could have did that. You know that, right? He could have turned those into stone, the stones in the bread if he wanted to. He could have. For you, the son of God, you shouldn't be suffering like this. If, in fact, you are God's son, the enemy has all he has a way with words here. And for us, have we ever been tempted to meet a need in a way that dishonors God? I'm talking about real needs, a felt need, a necessity. Have you ever been tempted to meet that need in a way that dishonors him? Have you ever been tempted to live independent of him, to be a practical atheist? We all have. Because the enemy comes in moments of weakness. He comes when we're lacking the necessities of life, food, shelter, health, relationships, employment. He comes to tempt you to distrust God's provision and care over your life. He comes. And at some point in your life, you're going to be in need of something. You're going to have a felt need. At some point, you're going to lack something. Joblessness or food or car breaks down or bad health, broken relationships, or final notice from Huntsville Utilities. Something's going to happen. And when that happens, the temptation whisperer is going to come to you. He's going to say to you, God doesn't know what is best for your life. You know what's best for your life, so go out and do it. Go meet that immediate need. Go use it. Don't care. By any means necessary, even if it means dishonoring him, your need would be met. You would be happy. You won't suffer anymore. You are, if you are a child of God, you shouldn't lack anything. That's what he's telling you. You should be living your best life now as a child of God. So go meet those needs. Is the enemy whispering to you? And are you believing in lies? Do you even recognize his voice when he comes? The world is filled with fanatics, religious fanatics, sports fanatics, paleo fanatics, CrossFit fanatics, political fanatics, social causes fanatics, patriotic fanatics. Author Neil Postman says, the key to all fanatical beliefs is that they're all self-confirming. And another quote says, a fanatic, either religious or political, is a subject of strong delusions. See, that's how the enemy comes to Jesus the second time. He tempts him to be a religious fanatic who lacks basic common sense. He tempts him to do something foolish, to act the food. And this temptation, it, it takes Jesus out of the wilderness. And this temptation isn't going to be a private temptation. It's going to be a public temptation. It's going to be in a public space where, where there can be witnesses to see what Jesus is going to do. See, the enemy leads Jesus out of the wilderness, takes him to Jerusalem, and places him on the highest point of the Jewish temple. And on that temple, on the highest point of the temple, he tempts Jesus to be a foolish fanatic. Look at verse 6. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from this temple. For it is written... He will command the angels concerning you and on your and on their hands. They will bear you up. lest you strike your foot against a stone. Prove yourself to be the son of God by doing something foolishly spectacular. Something that will surely get the attention of the people. Throw yourself down, Jesus. You can do it. 
You got this. You can do all things to the Lord God who strengthens you. Jesus, you're the son of God, right? If he cares for you, he'll catch you before you fall. If he cares for you, he'll catch you before you hit the ground. Again, the whispers. God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. God doesn't care for you. Prove to him. Make him prove to you that he loves you. And that's what he's trying to entice Jesus to do. Force God to prove that he cares for you. Force him. Force him to prove he does have your best interest in mind. Force him to show you he's faithful to you. Have you ever been tempted to do that? Have you ever been, those words ever been whispered in your ear? And to make the temptation sound more spiritual, he even misuses God's word. Please notice, the enemy, we always think the enemy comes with a pitchfork. That's too obvious. Man, he don't come, he's not that obvious, he's not an idiot. He even quotes scripture to Jesus. Psalm 91, verses 11, 11 through 12, that's what he quotes to him. And, and, and Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 are true. All God's word is true. But when his word is used in, a, in an attempt to force him to move, that's a misapplication. It's a misapplication. The devil is tempting Jesus to test God's faithfulness by doing something foolish. By being a foolish religious fanatic. By putting himself in harm's way on purpose. This is like me saying, God loves me and going to protect me, so I'm going to stand out in traffic and do this. Show me you love me, God. Don't let these cars hit me. Now, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to get hit by the car. Common sense. Common sense theology. What some of us need. Common sense. Because here's the thing. The father has just already told Jesus, this is who, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He just told him that. And now this enemy is getting him to question that. And that's what he does to you. Question your identity in Christ. Start, if you start believing who you are in Christ, the enemy has you. Because that's what he's doing with Jesus. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, the father just told him that. And the father also told him, I'm well pleased with you. Now, the enemy is trying to get him to disbelieve that. And that's what he does to you. He wants you not to believe God has your best interest in mind. The same thing he did to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? That's what he does. He wants you not to trust him. He doesn't care how he can get you to do it. He just wants you to fail. He just wants you to live in unbelief. It could be in the smallest thing as long as he gets you not to trust in your father and go do things your own way. If God cares for you, then you can test him like this and he'll show up. That's crazy. Don't do that. Each of us have come face to face, I think, with with a cinema temptation to be a foolish religious fanatic who tries to force God to move his hand. Now, we can spiritualize it now. Of course we do that. Oh, you don't have to study. If God cares for you, you'll get the answers when the test comes. We can call it total recall. God will bring it to you. Don't study. You don't got to study. Oh, those people don't appreciate you and your job. Yes, you should quit. Go ahead and quit. And if God cares for you, he'll make sure you have money to pay the bills. Just quit. Because God wants you to be happy. 
Okay, you prayed about it, and most of all, you got peace about it. And that peace you're feeling, that's confirmation from the Lord. Yes, you go ahead and do that. Throw yourself down. Be a fanatic and watch him move. Watch him move. Do you hear that? The whispers. And are you entertaining it? Has not God already said you belong to him? Has he not already said you are his? Has he not already said I'm going to provide for you? Has he not already told you those things? Whose voice are you going to listen to? God's voice or the enemy's voice? Whose voice are you listening to? Who are you trusting? Who is your God? Who is really your Savior? Third, temptation. He tempts Jesus to be powerful. He tempts him to be powerful. He, in this approach, he, I, I, this, again, he changes his approach here with, his, with this final temptation. This temptation attacks the humanity of Jesus. You see, he failed in the other two. He, he comes with the, uh, attacks his humanity. He comes to him and, and tempts him with earthly power, status, riches, authority, and privilege. He is going to offer Jesus these earthly thrones and kingdoms and nations for a price. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Give me your allegiance, son of God, and I give you all the earthly power you can imagine. Sell your soul to me and you can have it all now. You can have your best life now. Worship me as your God, and I make good on all my promises. Please know, Satan is making him a promise. He's making the Son of God a promise. Who or what are you willing to bow down to to be powerful? Who or what are you willing to give all your allegiance to so you can have it all? No, here's a better one. What are you willing to do so your kids can have it all? Who are you willing to bow down to? Who are you willing to worship to make sure they can have it all? In order to have status, prosperity. Who or what is your functional God and functional Savior Monday through Saturday? Who are you really bound down to? Again, he don't come with a pitch for it. The things that you bow down to are things that are good things that God can give you. My family can be my God. And my family is God's gift to me. But if I use it in a way to replace Jesus, then I'm in idolatry. I'm in idolatry. Same with my kids. All my kids' achievements. Who or were you bound down to? Who is what? Who are your? Who is your real savior? See, all of us deal with these temptations in our life: to be powerful, to be a fanatic, to be independent, and we don't always resist. We give in and fall sometimes. I, like I said, I gave in and fell this week. And sometimes it's often. And again, repentance is what you do when that happens. Please know that. Repentance is your way out. So don't, don't leave here and think you're going to get 12 steps on how the devil struggled with temptations again. 
or how you're not to ever fall into temptations again. This is the this is not the church for you then, because we don't give 12 steps. You're going to fall sometimes. So you need to learn how to repent when you do. Repent when you do, because the father's hands, Jesus's hands are always there to receive you back. First Corinthians 10, 13 says no temptation has see overtaken you that isn't common to man. We always think we're the only one dealing with it, and you ain't. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your, your ability. But with the temptation, he also provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. His word, saints, is one of the ways he provides for you to escape and endure the temptations from the enemy. His body, his church is another way. Other believers is another way. We don't have to walk through life by ourselves. That's how that's how Jesus dealt with the temptation. He used God's word to engage the enemy when he came. And here's a principle for us. You can't use the word if you don't know it. So that means coming here once a week, listen to a sermon ain't enough. You can't use God's word if you don't spend time in it. To fight off the enemy. And please know the enemy knows it better than you. So when the enemy comes to Jesus and tempts him to be independent, he quotes um, Deuteronomy 8 too. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what does that, that, that verse mean? It means God is the one who sustains you. God is your provider. You need more than just status and success and resources to survive. You need the Father. And in fact, you have what you have because of him. Do you believe that? I guess y'all don't believe it then. Do you believe you have what you have because of God? Or do you believe you got it because of your education and your job? What do you really believe? You are where you are because of the Father. He's the one moving and working. We do not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Even the parts of the word that we don't want to read. When the enemy tempts Jesus to be foolish, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put your Lord, your Lord, your God to the test. That's what he quotes. him. Why? Because God, you should, God knows he's going to provide for you. You don't have to force him to move. Parents, if your kid try to force you to do something, what are you going to do? Huh? I can't hear you. What are you going to do when your kid try to force you to do something for him? Try to make you move. Make you do something. Did you do it? Now how do you think God feels when you do that to him? If you don't move, you shouldn't expect him to move for you. Because the parent don't tell the kid, kids don't tell the parents what to do. And that same thing works in our relationship with God. We don't tell him what to do. We don't force him to move. We don't force him to do anything. We don't. And the thing is, you don't have to. If he gave Jesus up for you, how would he not help you in your current situation? It always goes back to the gospel. Always goes back to that. Always goes back to that. And the third temptation, when Jesus, when the Satan tempts him to, to be powerful, he says. Be gone, Felicia. It is written, you should not, you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
That's that harder matter. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Co-worship and service go together. So Satan, Jesus resists the temptation. He passes the test. He stands firm. Again, because he has to be a sinless savior in order to fulfill the work the Father has given him to do. As I said in Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that's good news for us. Good news for us. That Jesus can identify with us. He has solidarity with you. In, in the places where you truly live. Not just on Sunday mornings. Not just when life is well. He's with you throughout your life. No matter what you go through, he knows. And you have to hold firm to that as his sons and daughters. That he has not brought you this far to just leave you hanging. And some of us think that. This is the day he's going to forsake me. This is the day I'm by myself. Beloved, you are never alone. You're never alone. Never alone. And Jesus, again, on the cross, that's where you see God, how much God loves you. Because he gave up his only son for you when you didn't love him back. That's the gospel. And this table here, this meal, this Lord's table, that we have once a month hit the village church. We don't just do this so we can have some bread and some juice. No, this table is a, is a reminder of what Christ did on the cross for his people. It's a, it's a visible reminder of his selfless sacrifice on the cross for all of our sins. Each of you, youth, kids, adults, that's what Christ did. He went there to make atonement for our sin debt. And if you have seven faith in Jesus, this table is for you. If you know him as your Savior, you trust him as your Savior, this meal is for you. And he invites you to partake of this meal. Now, if you are a believer today and you know someone has something against you and you have conflict, you have not resolved with someone, then you don't need to take the elements today. You don't want to take the meal in an unworthy manner. So you need to go be made right with that person and then come back to the table. So you know who you are. And if you don't know Christ today, I consider the honor that you're here. If you have questions of what it means to know Christ as Lord and Savior, please come see me after service and we can talk. Parents, we ask the kids that are with you abstain from the elements until they've been invited to the table by the church that you attend and a member of. Now, my kids, this is my favorite part of the Lord's table where I get to talk to each of you. Again, I want you all to know that this meal is a reminder that Jesus loves you. It's a reminder that he actually died on the cross for each of you, for your sins. There'll be those in the world who don't believe what we believe, and that's okay. But I'm here to tell you it happened and that Jesus loves you. And it's my prayer as your pastor that one day when you become a Christian, you can partake of this meal with your mom and dad, grandparents, or guardian. Until that day happens, please know Jesus loves you.
I'd like to ask the officers to come forward who are going to be assisting. And before we take the table, let's go into prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to repair our hearts for the Lord's table. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had broken it, he gave thanks and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures leaves me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. The rod and your staff, they comfort me. Christ's body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. In the same manner, he also took the cup. Having given thanks, he said to his disciples, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins.
Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Christ's blood shed for all your sins, past, present, and future. Drink from it, all of you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice that we don't have to climb on a cross with you. We thank you that the debt has been paid. We thank you for your resurrection. And we pray, my prayer for each of us is that through your spirit, we can all walk out of here in resurrection power this week with a greater confidence in your faithfulness and a greater awareness of your presence in our life. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service? <laughs>